Praise the Lord. Welcome to the official GVPC podcast. My name is Pastor Chris Keats. I am the pastor of Gila Valley Pentecostal Church in Safford, Arizona. We're so glad to have you here listening to this podcast. We pray that it richly blesses you. And God bless you. I just enjoyed singing an old song on, on uh, <clears throat> Sunday. And I was singing this as I came up, and Sister Ariel recognized it. Brother Joel did, and he's too young, huh? Yeah. <clears throat> Well, there's a happy land of promise over in the great beyond where the saints of earth shall soon reshare. Where the souls of men shall and we come forevermore. Everybody will be happy over there.
glory, glory. That has absolutely nothing to do with what I'm being teaching tonight. I was just singing it on the way to church and wanted to sing it. Amen. Amen. We need some of those old songs, don't we? We were up top yesterday, and I saw that box of songbooks, and I should have grabbed me one. I think I have one at home, but I should have grabbed me one. Mark the 8th chapter, since you're standing, just remain standing. The first verse. <clears throat> and in those days, <clears throat> the multitude being very great and have nothing to eat, having nothing to eat, Jesus called the disciples unto him and saith unto them, I have compassion on the multitude. Because they've now been with me three days and they have nothing to eat. You may be seated. <clears throat> I have a, a terrible, terrible habit of preaching whatever it is I've been reading. <laughs> that day. And I'm in Mark, in case you're wondering. But uh, you, you find, Mark is an interesting book. And I'm going to talk about this a little bit. Um, it's almost like the Reader's Digest condensed version of, of Matthew. <laughs> and uh, anybody know what Reader's Digest condensed is here? <laughs> anybody know what I'm talking about? One or two? <laughs> yeah. How many of y'all knew that song I just sang? Raise your hand. More than I thought. All right. Amen. That's good. But it just, well, I forgot to do something here, but that's all right. It just, uh, it's a fascinating book, but it, I'll get to, I've, I've been reading it, and I've just found great stuff in it. The Word of God is a living document. It's Amen. a living Word. Amen. It's so wonderful. The Bible tells us, and of course, not too long before Jesus had fed 5,000. The Bible tells us that Jesus was out there and the multitude had followed him. The multitude was great. And, uh, and, and they, he looked on them and he saw that they were hungry. He saw that they were going to, to pass out if they didn't get something to eat. And he said, you know, we need to feed these people. And... Um, and when he says this, the, it's fascinating here in this story that the disciples ask, in my opinion, probably one of the dumbest questions that they asked ever before. They said, and his disciples answered, from whence can a man satisfy these men with bread here in the wilderness? A very, very, very short memories because just a little while before, they had had 5,000 there and pretty much the same thing had happened. They said, do you want us to go into town? And do you want us to get 200 penny worth of bread? Now that doesn't mean, sound a lot, like a lot to you, 200 pennies worth of bread. But in that day, a penny was a day's wages. So it was like, <clears throat> do you want us to take the money that would pay for 200? Or just about, if you don't count weekends, just about a year's worth of wages to go buy bread. I'm tens of thousands of dollars in today's money to go buy food for all of these people. And Jesus said, no, 
Uh, do you have some bread and fishes? We got, we've got, I think it was five loaves, three fishes, seven loaves. I can't remember. Five loaves and two fishes, is that right? I forget now. Yeah, <laughs> and five loaves and two fishes, and, uh, uh, and, uh, and he broke the bread, and they fed 5,000, and uh, including women and children. And when they were done, they gathered up the pieces. There were 12 baskets full. I, uh, <laughs> I read something one time, and uh, years ago I read a novel. It was a novel. And it was a good novel. It was called The Robe. Anybody here ever read The Robe? Anybody, anybody knows ever read The Robe? Just, nobody reads. Okay. <laughs> um, but uh, I read a novel called The Robe. And it was, it was interesting. It was just, like I said, a novel. And it talked about this particular instance and, and what they come to the conclusion in this novel that happened was that more people in the crowd had food than people thought and they began to share with one another and it was really more about sharing than it was about a miracle. That's not what happened. Amen. Jesus began to break the bread. It's interesting whenever Jesus blesses things and begins to move it out there. Amen. There's more than enough. And so, so we had that happen not too long before and here we have a, a similar instance this time they've been for three days and, and, uh, and, and they, everybody's hungry. And he says, he says, these folks are hungry and they don't have anything to eat. And the disciples say, uh, how, how are we going to do it? What's wrong with you people? Right. Amen. You, you know, this chapter that I'm working through and I've been reading today and I've read it probably 10 times today and in studying it. This chapter is is such an illustration of the denseness and the 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 hard-headedness and the inability of carnality to see spiritual things. It, it, as we go through the eighth chapter of Mark, and like I said, just I was reading it today and I went on to the ninth chapter, I went on to the tenth chapter, I came back to the eighth chapter, began to read again. As we go through this this we see uh, the illustration of, of, of people who are not thinking in a spiritual way. How in the world are we going to do this? Jesus says, how many loaves of bread do you have? Well, we've got seven and a few small fishes. And it, it, that could have been, who knows what kind of fish they were. They weren't salmon and they weren't halibut, I'll guarantee you that. They might have been sardines. They would catch many, many, many sardines in the Sea of Galilee. And they would catch tilapia there too. And so it could have been either one of those. And, and, uh, and so they said, uh, well, we got a few small fishes. And, um, and um, they weren't really good fishermen. Because fishermen are always like, we got big fish. But, uh, but uh, we got a few small fishes. At seven loaves, and the Lord says, okay, bring him here. Let's take care of this situation. Amen. How many times have you been kind of in the same situation? We suffer the same carnal way of thinking. How in the world is God going to take care of it this time? I was reading in Joshua 21st chapter in the 43rd verse. It said, and the Lord gave unto Israel all the land which he sware to give unto their fathers, and they possessed it and dwelt therein. And before this part of the scripture goes through what God gave to each uh, tribe and so on. And the Lord gave them rest round about according to all that he sware unto their fathers. Now, now notice what he's saying here. 
The Lord swear to give unto their fathers. He made a vow. He made a covenant that he was going to give this to them. And then according to all, he made a covenant to swear unto the fathers. And there stood not a man of all their enemies before them. And the Lord delivered all their enemies into their hand. And then it says, there failed not aught of any good thing which the Lord had spoken unto the house of Israel. And all came to pass. What are you saying? I'm saying when God says, I will do it, and I will take care of it, and I promise, His promises are yea and amen. Amen. There's no variable or shadow of turning in Him. And Jesus, He showed it before with the 5,000. He walks up. He says, we need to feed these people. They're like, how do we do that? Well, think back. Later on, He talks about it a little bit in the chapter. And so he breaks the bread and he breaks, uh, hands out the fishes. And, and, uh, and when it was done, they had seven baskets full and they fed 4,000 plus. Amen. What a beautiful thing. And so, and then we continue to see the parade of carnality in this, in this uh, chapter. And the Pharisees came forth. I suspect that the Pharisees were there with them at this time. There's kind of an indication that they were there in the midst of this. There were, there were always some Pharisees that were following Jesus around. There were always some Pharisees that were questioning Him. There were always some Pharisees that were asking about things. Does anybody know here where the Pharisees originally came from? What was their origin? I mean, you can you Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin was well, they were part and parcel of the same. But where did they originally come from? <clears throat> where did all of this come from? Way back in the day, for the day you know. No, the Pharisees came from those that whenever Jethro came to Moses and he said, "You need to get people to." be judges over the, the people of Israel. You need to have some work in over this, over that. And they, de they developed an institutional system to be lawgivers over the people of Israel. It started out really, really good. It was something that, that was, was set up. I believe that Jethro, who was a, the high priest of Midian, uh, and uh, we're not really sure what that entailed because the scripture doesn't go into it. But undoubtedly, and there is, and I've done a little study on this, there were, there were those that worshipped the Lord God Almighty there that were part of this group of people. They were not Israelites, but they did worship. There were those outside of the Israelites that did have a concept of who God was. And so he was probably one. He came to Moses. He says, look, you need to do this. You need to do that. They began to set things up so that Moses could take care of stuff. And that's where it all started. But as... as as happens so often with institutions and organizations, I've watched this happen at various times, they become corrupted by carnality. And instead of walking in the spirit, they begin to follow after the lust of the flesh. Somebody made a statement some time ago. I'm just teaching through the a, a chapter Mark. Is that all right? We'll just get, we'll get places, we're going places with this. And uh, 
We're going through the eighth chapter of Mark is what we're doing. But uh, so I, have, I read something some time ago that said the early church that that 95 percent of it operated on the spirit and five percent on the flesh. There was that little bit where they where the um, where the widows and so on were feeling they weren't getting treated right. The the the, the and uh, the the widows of the proselytes and so on. And uh, and the the apostles put out seven deacons and. The seven deacons took care of business. The Bible says their gifts of government helps, but even that is a spiritual thing. And uh, and so you, you have you have the church operate on the spirit. Everything operate on the spirit. There was that certain amount of administration that needed to be taken care of. There were offerings that were taken, and so on and so forth. But ninety five percent was operating on the spirit. Today they say that somebody made a statement that said about five percent is the spirit and ninety five percent is the flesh. And that can be so true. And I hope to goodness that is not true in this church. Right. We need to be led of the Spirit and not by the flesh. That's right. Amen. Amen. And so the Pharisees came forth. A little history lesson there, but they came to him. And I suspect that these Pharisees had been in the crowd that were fed by Jesus. And they came forth and they said, and they began to question with him, seeking of him a sign from heaven, tempting him. And I, I am, I am bum-fuzzled. That's a cool word. I am flabbergasted by these people who could walk out of a miraculous situation like the feeding of 4,000 and come to Jesus and say, we want to see a sign. Right. We'd like to see a sign. But well, we want to see a sign from heaven. We're not, we, we've already seen your ministry here, but we want to see, see a sign from heaven. And, uh, and Jesus said, barely, I say, this generation, the Bible says this, and he sighed deeply in his spirit. And he said, why does this generation seek after a sign? Verily right. I say unto you, there shall be no sign given unto this generation. Now Matthew the 16th chapter covers most of this in a more in-depth description. If you want to look at that, you can go later on and check it out. Um, but Mark just kind of simply conveys the irritation and the frustration that Christ no doubt had or felt at these hard-headed and carnal people. Right. Amen. Uh, and like I said, there's an indication that they witnessed the feeding of the 4,000. And, and they, in fact, it's very possible, even likely, that some of them had eaten of this miracle bread and miracle fishes. And yet, they were seeking a sign. I got to thinking about this. And, uh, and, and just as I was studying today, and there are those that are always looking for a sign. I want to, I want to, I'm going to segue a little bit here and, uh, and talk about some things for a little bit. And I'm going to try to finish this chapter before the evening is done, but uh, before I've my, what I consider my allotted time is up. But there are those that will never, that are never satisfied. Right. Never satisfied with what God has done for them. 
Never satisfied for, with the, the miraculous that God has done in their life. Not satisfied with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Not satisfied with the deliverance that God has brought in their life. And they're always looking for another sugar stick, so to speak. And trying to gin up a bunch of stuff that is not biblical. Not a sign, uh, and so on. And let me tell you something. Those, you're going to run into people that are always out looking for the wow factor. If you get around, and I'm just going to say it right here, if you get especially around a lot of the charismatic type churches and stuff throughout the country and, and, there, and, and the emergent groups and the, the I, I, somebody used another word today uh, for a group, um, then, then you're going to see this, always this looking for the wow factor. Brother, uh, uh, the Mueller's went up uh, maybe a year, I don't know how long ago it was, and preached a revival in a town in Northern California. And in that town, there is a church that is, is constantly trying to add all kinds of weird things. They do, I think they are the ones that do the grave sucking. You know what the grave sucking is? is if you don't know what the grave sucking is, um, it's where they go and they find these graves of people who were or supposedly were great um, people of God and they lay on the graves and they suck up the anointing and so on. They also do the thing where there's, there's, there's gold dust that falls from the ceiling and, there's, there, and I don't know if they do or not, but they, there's the, uh, the gold fillings and, and, uh, and I, I'm going to go to Mexico and get me some bridges. I wish the Lord would just do them right now. But uh, it would be easier that way. But uh, so, uh, but you, they're, they're always just, there's the, old, there's the old stigmata thing. My mother remembers where she was in meetings where, where there were crosses that would appear on people's foreheads and oil that would drop from people's hands and a lot of different things that went on that, that just simply do not have a precedent in the scripture. The, the Pharisees said, we want to see a sign from heaven. And, and these people, they will come across and, and try to convince you how super spiritual they are. But in reality, it is a sign of their carnality. Come on now. Because it is their flesh that wants to be that wants to be moved right. by this stuff. Right. They want the smoke and the mirrors and the flash and all that kind of stuff. It's flesh. There is a lot of miraculous things that happen right. in the Spirit. Right. There is healing. There are tongues and interpretation. There are, there, there's prophecy. There's all this sort of stuff. But it has to be, it has to be dictated within the confines of the Scripture. Come on now. If it, does, if it goes against the way the Scripture works, something is wrong. And we know, we know that, and, and I think that, that as we move deeper in the Spirit, and I want to see a deeper move of the Spirit, I want to see a, more of the gifts. The Bible said to come in the best gifts and so on. We understand the context of that. But, uh, but as we begin to move into the gifts of the Spirit, make sure. That's why when we're, we're moving, the Lord is moving, and, and tongues come forth. I will not allow tongues just to go willy-nilly. There'll be maybe one, maybe two, at the most three. And then we're like, okay, let's wait for an interpretation. Because that's the way the Scripture sets it up. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. And so on. And so uh, we, need to, uh, we need to be very careful that we stay within 
the, the, the way the scripture has set things up. But he said, you're looking for a sign. You want a sign from the heavens? He says, there's not going to be any sign. You look in the, in the, you, the, the sailor and in the 60th chapter of Matthew, it talks about, you know, they can, they can discern the, the, uh, the, the weather and stuff. But, but he said, the only sign that you're going to get is the sign of Jonah who was in the belly of the well. And the Son of Man is going to be in the belly of the earth for three days. That's all you're going to get. I'm not interested in, in candy sticks and, and magic tricks for you. God doesn't work that way. Let's get gold dust from the ceiling. God does not work that way. There's things that happen. But I'm going to tell you what. I don't know, I don't know what they are. But I, I, I'm going to stay away from that job. Met a guy I've talked about him before. He's a nice guy. I like him very much. Pastor of a little church here in Safford. And we had a lot of discussions about the scripture. And he had went down actually to Bilas, I think it was. Some of you may know what I'm talking about. I don't know. But there was some woman down in Bilas who was having who was having church in her house or something. And they were having weird things happen. And I, I looked at him. His first name was Tony. I said, Tony, if I were you, I'd be very careful about that stuff. I said, there's no precedent in the Scripture. He said, well, I just feel like it's the Lord. And I said, you, there's no precedent in the Scripture for those things. You need to stick with the Word of God. And he had some... He had already been a little influenced by some things. Um, and, and, and one of the things was uh, we were talking about, he, he really did, I think that he had a little bit of a, a inclination toward Branhamism, that sort of thing. And he told me, we were talking one day, I was actually at his workplace. We were talking, he said, you know, Branham, <clears throat> Branham, all of this stuff on Serpent Seed, if you don't know anything about Serpent Seed, you're probably better off. But all of these revelations, so-called, <laughs> That William Mary Branham had on serpent seat. He said, he said where he got them from was God showed him a vision of what happened in the Garden of Eden that was not in the scripture. I said, Tony, that does not work. Right. It's like the guy that told me one time, a Branhamite guy, he told me, he said, what happened in the garden was that was that uh, Eve had a sexual relationship with the serpent who was not a snake but a serpent had a sexual relationship with a serpent and out of that came Cain and Cain was serpent seed and everybody who has descended from Cain cannot be saved because they have no soul and all and all on and on. I said, where is that in the scripture? He said, it's there. I said, it is not. He said, it's there. I said, read it to me. And he read about he read about Eve taking the fruit and he said that's it I said no it is not scripture says that Adam knew his wife and she was a child that began Cain and uh, and I said that is not what it says he said well you got to read between the lines I said no 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 that's not the way it works amen we I had some for a while there, for some reason, I kept running into these guys. And we have these interesting, interesting conversations. So anyway, so the, they, there was all of that stuff. This is not a sign of spirituality. When you run into somebody who's got all kinds of, they're connected to, to all kinds of revelations and stuff. You know what? Turn around and walk away. Amen. They've got all of this stuff and the Word of God is right. Hallelujah to the Lamb. You don't need that garbage. Amen. Amen. 
King James Version was good enough for Peter, James, and John. It's good. Wait, wait. <laughs> Amen. That's carnality. If you didn't get that joke, you can ask me about it later on. But uh, so it goes on. So after this happens, then we begin to move into something else. And the Lord is the Lord is was always ready to use whatever was going on at the present time to teach lessons to the disciples. Now the disciples had forgotten to take bread. Neither had they in the ship with them any more than one loaf. It's like, we got one whole loaf of wonder bread. And he charged them saying, take heed. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the leaven of Herod. And I just, sometimes I look, I look at all of this. We really, I don't think, I don't think the disciples were dumb. Because they're probably up there. The Bible says we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. And they may, some of them may be, you know, hey, let's check out Gila Valley Pentecostal Territory. What is he saying? So I just want to make that clear. I don't think they were dumb. But sometimes they were kind of carnal. And they thought in carnal ways. And they reasoned in carnal ways. And the Bible says they reasoned amongst themselves. Is it because we have no bread? What do you think? We forgot the bread. I didn't forget the bread. You forgot the bread. You're the guy who's supposed to go buy bread. I, I, no, no we, we forgot the bread. And he's telling us, we've got to beware. Uh, we, were you, were you going to buy some bread from Herod? Is that, what's, you know, what's he talking about? Amen. And, uh, and, and, you know, it always seemed like, the, you know, it really does seem like the disciples were always short on food. You ever notice that? They always seem to, and it's so understandable because in Mark the sixth chapter, he, when he sent them out on a preaching tour, he called on him the twelve and began to send them forth two by two and gave them power over unclean spirits, Mark 6 and 8, and commanded them that they should take nothing for their journey, save a staff only, no script, no bread, no money in their purse. And so now that they got a little bit in the habit, and now they're not on the preaching tour, and they keep forgetting to bring food. And so, <laughs> they never seen, well, got a little, we don't have any food, but this kid does, you know. We got seven loaves, and, and now we don't have anything left. I wonder what happened to the seven baskets of, of bread. Maybe this was a little way later down the road they'd eat it up. But, so, but now it is the disciples' turn to feel the exasperation of the master. He already, he already sighed deeply in his spirit dealing with the Pharisees. And now he's looking at his disciples he's like, why in the world have I gathered around me? I just, uh, I, I, you know, why, why in the world do I have to deal with this? You know, why do I have to deal with these people? Amen. Jesus knew it. He knew they were, they're standing around. They're whispering amongst each other. Sister Earl, you were supposed to bring bread, and you didn't bring bread. Why didn't you bring bread? Do you think that's what he's Yeah, that must be what he's talking about. And when Jesus knew it, he said to them, Why reason ye? Because ye have no bread. Perceive ye not, neither understand. Have your heart yet? Uh, have ye your heart yet hardened? Having eyes, see ye not, and having ears, hear ye not. And do ye not remember when I break the five loaves among five thousand? How many baskets full of fragments took ye up? They go, well, 
And when the seven among four thousand, how many baskets full of fragments took you of there? Oh, seven, seven. He said, how is it that you do not understand? And, and he didn't even go on right there, to, to, at least in this, to explain it. It's like, why are you guys so dense? You've seen what I do. You've been with me all of this time. I'm not talking about this bread, this loaf. And you know what I hope whenever he had that one loaf, he was eating it while he was talking, and they're like, is he going to share it? <laughs> but he says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of Herod. Beware of this. It's kind of interesting. I was reading somewhere as I was studying. And the way that they would do, they would leaven bread is you'd, you'd mix up your, um, your, um, well, not the yeast. There would your dough, but without the yeast. But you would have an old leaven, which is yeast, old leavened clump, and you that would be kind of your starter. You guys ever seen the starter stuff for for yeast bread and all that? But they would keep the starter, and sometimes it would be around for a while, you know. And all they do is take a pinch from that and mix it into the dough. And the Bible says, "A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump." The, just a little bit, let me tell you something, just a little bit of the old nature corrupts the new nature. Just a little bit of the carnality corrupts the spirituality. Watch out for the way Herod thinks. Herod is thinking about himself. The Pharisees are thinking from the flesh. That's the way they operate. He said, watch out for that kind of thinking because if that gets into your thinking amen then we're going to have a problem here and so it's fascinating and the Bible says he moved on from there and we'll we'll continue on in the 8th chapter here Matthew 28-22 says he cometh to Bethsaida they brought a blind man unto him and besought him to touch him he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the town. And I could preach on all of these and have preached on all of these instances uh, by themselves, standalone. And took him out of, out of the town. And when he had spit on his eyes and put his hands upon him, he asked if he saw aught. And he looked up and said, I see men as trees walking. And then after he put his hands again upon the eyes and made him look up, he was restored and saw every man clearly. And then he said to him, he sent him away to his own house saying, neither go into the town nor tell it to any in the town. And, you know, you look at these sort of things and, and you wonder why he did that. The reason he did that was because Jesus had no rest any time at all, hardly. Right. If you look at it, I was reading before this and he would tell people, just keep it quiet. You know, <laughs> at least for a little while type thing. And they went and told folks and folks just gathered in. He was just kind of trying to, you know, keep it at an at a even keel. But, uh, it's just interesting. I've taught this many times that when Jesus walked into Bethsaida and he took that man, the first thing he did was took him out of town. Why did he take him out of town? He took him out of town because there are times that for us to feel the presence of God and to get into the presence of God, we've got to get out of the atmosphere that we are in. This is why church is important for one thing. Some people say, well, I, I, I can have church at home. 
Well, you know, we kind of did it for a while. We, we had, we had the, the online stuff and we had to do that for a little while. But it's just not the same. It's like, it's, and you know, and here, here is something that I think many, many people did. This is the way it operated. Because there was a time or two when I was home that I operated this way. We'd start out watching and then we'd get hungry. I'm, well, I'm going to go over and make me a sandwich. <laughs> and uh, sit down and, 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 and watch a little bit more. And then, and then you know, got to do this, you got to do that. And, uh, you know, and, and, uh, and then uh, uh, my phone has these little things that pop up. Bing. They pop up there. Oh, I'll get back to that. Yeah. Anybody ever do that? Mm -hmm. I mean, like, bing. Big five sport, sporting goods. Mm. What's on sale? I'm finding out right now. Anyway, taking a walk. Anyway, well, we should be having church. Let me see. Sunglasses on sale. Tennis shoes. Hiking boots. I just bought some of those. Uh, what's a metal ladder ball? Okay. Oh, there's a gun case. I'll sell for $23. There's a pellet rifle kit. Anyway, but you do that. Y'all distracted now? Okay. So the thing is, is that those things pop up. And so that's, you know, and I know if you're honest with yourself, that that's kind of the way church was sometimes. When you were, and I'm not, I'm not being mean. I'm just telling you. I was, you know, there, there were just those times that something would happen. And you get distracted. You think, I can go back and watch. It's not the same. Right. That's why we need church so much. Right. Right. Amen. And so, <clears throat> I was guilty just as much as everybody else. And then sometimes, there were those, for a while there, you'd bring people together. We'd have church and watch it together. And, and we would all watch it on our iPads and different things. So I had to use a, a uh, uh, earbuds because it was different on every iPad. Anybody ever notice that? The, the, this one's delayed from this one and so on. So it's just, it just, it just the way things are. So Jesus said, I'm going to take him out of the stadium. Because this, in fact, the scripture says this in Matthew 11, 21. Woe unto the chosen and woe unto, be, be, woe unto the Bethsaida. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. And the problem was, was this was a carnal, unbelieving city. And so Jesus, to heal this man, needed to move him out of the situation. Sometimes we have to, and this is why people need to be in church. This is why people, sometimes you need to walk away from a situation if you want God to help you. Amen. Amen. And, and it goes on even more so with that situation. Because the Bible says that he spit on his eyes. Uh -huh. Oh, he spit on his eyes. Adam, I think it's uh, Adam Clark. Um, I believe, is that his name? Adam Clark? Um, commentary. A commentator um, made a statement at one point. I think that's who said it. He said that, that what, what he believes happened there was that when your eyes, when you're blind, and this guy's eyes had probably been kept closed for so long, they gummed up. Yuck. Eye boogers. You know how it is. But really, really bad. You know. And just say gummed up really bad. And he probably couldn't even open his eyes. 
and the Lord spit on his eyes. Sounds gross, but there was a reason. It's like it's like you, uh, sister. I'm sure Sister Denise probably does this if she hasn't, but she will with the kids. There's something on their face. She goes, "You ever did that? <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> it's spit clean. Come here, my where did that get on? Amen. And uh, I know my mom did it. And I, yeah, I've just seen it many times. And uh, spit on his eyes. And he, and he broke them loose so his eyes could be open. Sometimes for healing to happen, something has to be stripped away. Amen. <clears throat> There's a lot of people that want healing, but there's so much gunk between them and the presence of the Lord. And God is unable to move because they're all crudded up with the stuff of the world. First of all, they had to get him out of the atmosphere of Bethsaida. Then he had to clean that junk up. And he said, what do you see? He said, well, I see shapes and figures. And he touched him again and he healed him. Amen. Amen. You want healing sometimes. There's so much stuff hindering the... God cannot heal until it's removed. And you need to think about that. We all need to think about that. Amen. And on it goes. Jesus went out with his disciples in the town of Caesarea Philippi. And by the way, he asked his disciples, saying unto them, Whom do men say that I am? Now I'm going to try to move this through, through this pretty quickly. Again, Matthew 16 gives a much more detailed description of this account. But, but the Bible says that he looked at them and they said, well, some say you're John the Baptist, you know, you're, you're like the baptizer, you're like, you're like this guy that's preaching repentance. And some say you're like Elijah and, and on and on. And, and he looks at them and said, but who do you say that I am? And, um, and Peter says, Peter in a, uh, at least at that time, somewhat of a, um, somewhat of a rare instance of revelation and spirituality said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And we know what happened. Jesus said, flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to you. Father in heaven, you're going to have the keys, etc., etc. And so then the scripture says this. After this happened, after Peter steps out of his flesh into a realm of revelation for just a little bit. The Bible says, he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders of the church chief priests and scribes and be killed after three days and after three days rise again and this is interesting to me I'm going to tell you something this is interesting to me because as we read the gospel account it seems almost like the crucifixion and the and the resurrection the burial and the res resurrection of Christ were a surprise and a shock to the apostles to the disciples. Like, whoa, what's going on? But Jesus had very clearly explained to them what was going to happen. Did they listen? Right. You wonder sometimes. And but and that and in saying that, that's not necessarily a criticism, it's just a fact of life. I was talking about the Joel today. We we're talking about I was out walking. I was just walking and I'd been praying and, and uh and all of that, and I found a road to walk. I just walk it, and, uh, and Brother Joel calls me, so he's got some questions about the Bible, and, uh, and we're talking about reading the Bible, because 
You need to read the Bible. You need to read the Bible every day. Every uh, occasionally, I, I I miss some a day. Something happens, but I do my very best to get up in the morning and spend time uh, in, in the Scripture. And, uh, and and I'm gonna tell y'all something. Try to try to do this. Try to read your Bible before you read Facebook and read news or anything else. Try to read your Bible. Sometimes sometimes I'm looking at, at the news on my iPad. I'm thinking, what am I doing? Yeah. Go back to the Bible. It's like, stop this right now. We can do that later on. Yeah. Amen. And so we were talking about that. And, and we were talking about, and I mentioned something. We were talking about how, how much you read, how fast you read. And I'm a real fast reader. If I want to, I can read really fast. At one time when I was a kid, I could read 1,300 words a minute with 90% comprehension. I tried the reading machine recently or something. I do about 600 now. So I'm a lot slower than I used to be, half the speed. But, um, but I was really fast. I can read pretty quick. And if I want to, I can kind of speed read and all that kind of stuff if I want to. I find myself doing that if I'm not careful. You know, reading the middle part and kind of skipping the edges. Anybody read like that? Brother Nate knows what I'm talking about. You, you can read and you get the basic concept. Yeah, there you go. You read it and kind of skip the edges. Yeah. Dan knows what I'm talking about too. We've, we've done that. You know, and, and so I told Brother Joel there's times that I'll read and I'll realize I don't really know what was just said. So I go back and I've reread probably hundreds of chapters. Stop, go back, slow down, read the chapter again, and, and, and get through it. And so sometimes it's that way in, in talking. I'll be talking to someone, and uh, like my wife, and after a while I'm not sure whether she's hearing what I'm saying. Which I don't really blame her because I'm boring as all get out, you know, whatever I'm talking about. Rifles. But anyway, but uh, so I think I'm interesting. Anyway, so we're going through, they're talking. Jesus was talking and talking and talking, explaining this stuff. And I think sometimes they zoned out because when it came time for him to be crucified, they're like, what is going on? This can't be happening. Now, actually, it can't. Because don't you remember, I told you all about this. But at this time, um, he spake that saying. He told him openly. And then the Bible says that Peter took him. Almost an indication that Peter took him to the side of And began to rebuke him. Now, what business did Peter have rebuking Jesus? Right. And he found out very quickly. Probably, it may have been this. I've got a special touch of God. I know who he is. He's the Christ, the Son of the living God. And I'm Peter. And I've got the keys to the kingdom. Jesus, I need to talk to you. Now, you want to talk about crashing and burning. A few minutes ago, he, was, he had the keys to the kingdom. He looks at him and he says, he, he, he literally rebuked him. Jesus, no, it's not, it can't be that way. This is a right. You know, we can't lose you. <clears throat> We're going to do whatever we can. I got a sword. We'll take care of you. You look at Peter in the garden and all that stuff. You, you talk about up and down and up and down and up and down. <laughs> I mean, it was like, it was like bipolar, you know, chopping it off, running for his life. Amen. I'll never uh, deny you. I never knew him and so on. Holy Ghost does a lot of good things for people, doesn't it? Sure did for Peter. But here he is. He's had all this. He thinks he has this one up on everybody else. He's, 
He's, he's, he's, you know, he's got this special dispensation with the Lord. And he says, no, don't say that. And the Lord turns around where everybody can hear him and says, get thee behind me, Satan. And here comes the spiritual and carnal part that the whole, that is so much a theme in the 8th chapter. He says, thou savorest not the things that be of God, but the things that be of men. Amen. He looks at him. He says, let, if any man come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Which is an interesting statement considering they probably did not really understand the concept of the cross yet. He had explained, but they didn't really understand that. But a lot of this stuff, I've got a feeling that after Jesus had ascended, the Holy Ghost had fallen. They're walking along, you know, one of them says, you know what? I think I know what Jesus was talking about. Amen. And then one of, one of the greatest statements, and I'm going to close. For what shall it profit? For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospel, the same shall save it. And what shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his soul? And what will a man give in exchange for his soul? I know some people give a whole lot of small stuff in exchange for their soul. They'll give up. They'll, they will. They will. They will. They, they'll sell out for a mere morsel of meat, like he saw there. Whoso, whosoever therefore should be ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him also the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in the glory of his Father and holy angels. Fascinating, and I'm not going to read it, but the ninth chapter, the very first verse sounds like it should be attached to the eighth chapter. And I don't know why they did not do that, whoever put this together, the translators did. But, but here's the deal. We walk a tight line many times between spirituality and carnality. The flesh, just a little bit of the leaven of this world, gets into your spirit. And it will mess things up all the time. Amen. Walk not after the flesh. Amen. Walk after the spirit. If you walk after the flesh, walk not, you'll, you'll fulfill the lust of the flesh and so on. Read Romans 8 chapter. And, uh, and there just has to be something that happens in the lives and the spirits and the souls, hearts of men and women of God, Amen. that the flesh becomes buried Beneath the presence of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. How can you take up your cross and follow Him? You can only do it in the Spirit. Carnal people don't carry crosses. Carnal people seek their own. Carnal people are looking for a sign. Carnal people are trying to figure all this out. Spiritual people carry crosses. Let's stand and worship the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. God, I love you, Lord. I love you. God, I bless your holy name.